Welcome to our lesson for today. Uh, we continue in Matthew chapter 5 uh, with our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today we'll be talking about uh, the very end of Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. And so Matthew 5, 38 to 48 is our text. If you haven't read it, pause and go read it. Uh, if you have, uh, you'll most likely have recognized it. Um, this is a very well-known passages about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, um, also about loving our enemies, and praying for those who persecute us. And Jesus starts here just as he has um, with his other laws he's tried to clarify in the last couple of weeks that we've studied. You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said, uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Right? But then Jesus clarifies in verse 39 to 42 and says, but this is not really how it is in the kingdom of God. Now that's, you know, my paraphrase, but it's essentially what Jesus is saying here. In fact, he's saying the kingdom of God is one of generosity. Not just generosity for your neighbor, but anyone who asks of you. He says, turn, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone sues you for your shirt, give to him your cloak or your jacket also. If someone asks of you to walk one mile, walk with them too. And if someone asks to borrow money from you, give it to them. And so he's saying here that the kingdom of God is not about revenge or not about only giving to those people we want to but it's about generosity. And then, sort of almost on the theme of neighbor, he goes into this, this section in verse 43 to 48 on loving our enemies. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What's interesting is that the Bible actually never says to hate your enemy. But because of many reasons that um, the Pharisees had actually, and rabbis had taught this as an interpretation of the Old Testament law. To love fully and to hate then is permissible. And some people actually have pointed this out to say, well, is this a weird contradiction in the Bible? Jesus quoting something that's not there? No. I want to point this out. Notice that it says that when Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, not it is written. When he references these Old Testament laws, see, he's referencing the, the way the Pharisees taught in, the, in what's called the rabbinical law how the rabbis would teach people. So it's not, a, even, it's not a contradiction, right? And we talked about this a few weeks ago with regards to the Bible and understanding Scripture, but a great question to ask when we worry about some of these things or maybe something comes up that we think, well, is this a contradiction? Ask the question, where is it written? It's always a great question to ask when we talk about how to act, how to live, what we should do in any situation. Where is it written? And so just as a reminder here, Jesus is not saying that it says that we should hate our enemies anywhere in Scripture. But he's talking about the teachings the rabbis would teach and trying to clarify them for his, his listeners. And so he says in verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He sort of is in a way saying, I'm telling you that in the kingdom of God, we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. That's how we act in the kingdom of God. This is how God wants it. Why? Verse 45, that you would be God's children. To be a child of God is to pray for those who persecute us, to love our enemies. And we need to remember this, and he uses this as an example in verse 45, right? That you may be children of your Father in heaven, because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
And just remember that in the Old Testament, uh, or in Jerusalem and Israel, in the Middle East, rain is a good thing. So some of us think of rain as a, as a bad thing. No, no, he causes the sun to rise and rain to fall to bring life and to bring goodness for both good and evil. See, to be God's children, to live in the kingdom of God, is to love our enemies, to love people who consider us their enemies, to pray for them. And that's what Jesus is saying. And then in verse 46, he says that, listen, if you only love the people who love you, what reward is there? What good is that? If you only greet your own people, what benefit does that give? If you only greet and and are kind, he even says, he compares that to the tax collectors and the pagans, people who do not believe in God and the people who cheat others. And then he ends with the title of our sermon today, which you may have noticed is Be Perfect. (laughs) He says in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So, you know what? Here you go. You want to know what to do with this? You want to know how to live life? Um, You want to know the secret to life? Be perfect. It's that simple. Um, But what's the problem? We're trying. But who among us is perfect? Well, this text, and actually most of them before it, if you look, it's about loving our enemies. This is about how we deal with other people, uh, making oaths to one another. There's divorce. There's adultery. There's murder. All of these texts that we've been studying in recent weeks and that Jesus is addressing here in his Sermon on the Mount are about people. How do we interact with people? Uh, And we can all agree that other people are the problem, right? It's never me, right? I mean, I can tell you this right now. um, Things are never my fault. (laughs) It's always someone else's fault. Whenever there's a problem in life, whenever there's a misunderstanding, it's, well, you misunderstood me. Well, you don't understand where I'm coming from. No, 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 you didn't hear what I said, right? But I actually mentioned this in last week's sermon, and I'll say it again. One of the things I think we all learn as we get older, as we grow up, as we seek maturity in this life, it's that we're actually more of the problem than we thought initially. We always want to blame others. We always want to look at others and say, no, other people are always the problem. It's never me. Um, But I think we realize that when we're in relationship with people, that oftentimes we are the problem. And we say, I want to be a child of God. I want to live in the house of the Lord. I want all the perks of being a child of the King. I want the safety and the security and all the things that come with it. But what does Jesus say? That we have to turn the other cheek when someone strikes us? If someone sues us for our shirt, we give them our cloak? Walk with them two miles if they ask us one mile? That we need to love our our enemies, not just our neighbor, but our enemies and those who persecute us? That's what it takes to dwell in the house of the Lord as a child of God? Yes. This is why Jesus said oftentimes that this was not an easy thing to do. To follow him was not easy. If you go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, remember, one of the first things he talks about is persecution will come. So what are we missing? Jesus says here, pretty straightforward, verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So why are we not perfect? I want to boil this all down. What does it mean to be perfect? To one question. Do we trust God? Do you trust that what God has for you is a better plan? And not only a better plan, but is also more deeply fulfilling 
than any plan you could come up with. Because see, sometimes we think that God's plan, okay, God's plan is better, but we forget that better in God's eyes is something that fulfills us, something that gives us joy and purpose. We need to trust and believe that God's plan is not only righteous, but that it will deeply fulfill our needs and desires more than our plan ever could. God's will for us is to be different, right? We see this throughout all of Scripture. We are to be set apart. What sets us apart? Well, that we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit with us. We do not need to act, as Jesus says, as the tax collectors and the pagans in this life, because we have more than they have. God has provided for us. And yet, we act as if we don't. You and I, oftentimes, we act as if our own plans and our own ideas will be the things that fulfill us. And yet, how often in our life have we gone off on our own to pursue our own desires and ended up feeling empty and alone? So when we are attacked, when we are persecuted or someone challenges us, how do we respond? Oftentimes, when we feel attacked or persecuted, we don't respond with what God says to respond with, with prayer and love for our enemies, but rather we respond with our own plan when we feel attacked or persecuted in this life. And I think, I was thinking about this for a while, and I think there's a couple of ways we might do this. Everyone's a little different, but I was thinking of kind of three ways a lot of people will respond to these things. The first one is get angry. You know, some people get really angry. And not just like, oh, I'm angry in the moment, like an emotion. We all feel that. But like a deep, real anger. And it can come out in different ways. It can come out through physical physical forms of some kind. It can come out through, through angry and loud and aggressive words. It can even come out through passive-aggressive words. Some of you, when you get angry or you feel attacked, you, 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 you do those little passive-aggressive comments, right? Those little, like, sharp, witty remarks that sort of cut people down because deep down you're really angry. Some of us explode and have bad tempers. Some of us, it may be physical, but, but there's a lot of people for, for, for when they feel attacked or persecuted, they feel angry. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But some of you still think, well, um, that's not me. I don't get so angry. Maybe you're the type of person who, when you feel attacked, you feel inside almost inadequate. You feel disconnected. When someone attacks you, you sort of shut down. And not only do you shut down, but then you sort of think, what's wrong with me that this happened? It's a shame response. It's a guilt response. Instead of being angry at the other person, the response when you feel attacked might be, what's wrong with me that this happened? So some of us with anger, some of us, we feel like a deep rejection. And still others, I think, when something like this happens, we get scared. Maybe some anger, maybe some shame, but we retreat. We hide, right? Maybe it's fear or control, but, but we withdraw and isolate. Some of us, when we feel attacked or persecuted in face of our enemies, rather than love them or rather than pray for them, we just say, well, forget it. It's not worth my time. And we retreat into ourselves. We hide in our own little castle to protect ourselves. We withdraw from the world to keep it from ever happening again. Some get angry, some feel rejected, some retreat. 
We all have a reason we don't love our enemies. We all have a reason we don't reach out to those that are different than us. Those who don't see the world like us. Because what Christ is saying here is that with all people, people who attack us, people who hurt us, people who ask to borrow things from us, all of these people we should not only love and care for, but we all have a reason that we try to hide. I'll tell you the truth. Me, personally, I isolate. I like to retreat into my own little world, kind of hide behind my walls of my castle. You know, maybe, maybe you get angry. Maybe you feel inner shame. I don't know what it is. But, but when I think about this, when I thought about this passage, I thought, you know, we do these things because we're trusting in ourselves. You and I run away or we argue or whatever it is we do when we feel attacked. We do these things because even though we want harmony and peace, even though we want resolutions to these things, we trust ourselves to do it. And so what's easier? Avoiding this command and doing what you and I are nat- naturally feel like we should do? Because it's easier to get angry. It's easier to run away. It's easier to try and control the situation. Or at least we think it is. But then what happens? We realize in this life, we cannot control other people. No matter how hard we try. Even if our goal is peace and harmony in this life, if we try to control the situations, if we try to control other people in our relationships with other people, it doesn't work. You know, this word, be perfect, in verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, It can also be translated, like, to become mature. It's pretty cool. In Hebrews, it actually uses the exact same word in Greek. Uh, And this is the passage. You may may know it. It's from Hebrews chapter 5. And it says this, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, or the perfect, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So this is about you and I understanding what is good. Jesus tells us that it's not about an eye for an eye or taking revenge. It's about loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us because this teaches us what is good. This teaches us about God's righteousness when we do these things. When he says to love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you, he's saying we don't need to be angry. You don't need to feel ashamed. You don't need to hide and isolate behind your walls of protection. Because Christ has already conquered all of those things on the cross. Christ has shown us that we don't need to be angry. That we can respond to persecution with love. Christ has promised you, for those of you who feel shame and guilt, Christ has promised you that you are good enough. And that you don't need to feel any shame. For those of us who who like to hide and withdraw, Christ has told us that he will always be with us. And that He is where we find our worth. And that when relationships let us down, that Christ will still care for us fully. And that it's safe to go outside of our walls again. And when we look at this, like I said, all of Matthew 5, murder, adultery, divorce, loving our enemies. This is about relationship. This is about you and I living in in community with one another. Our faith is not only for ourselves. 
See, one, one of the things we forget in this life is we always think it's about us and God, and we spend so much time thinking about us and God that we forget that faith is a relational thing. Our belief, our relationship with God also depends on other people. And so how we act towards one another is so important. Even our enemies, even the people we do not understand, even the people who come at life from a totally different perspective, and we think they're a little bit crazy. It's about living in harmony and peace. And Christ affords us the, the ability to do these things. Do not believe the lie that your faith is private and just between you and God because it's about all of us and how we live together. And let me just reiterate this point that it's not just also about people like you. Many people will write off this challenge and say, oh, Sam, you're being dramatic. I get along fine with the people in my life. How many of the people in your life are just like you? How many of the people in your life believe the same things you do? Christ is saying here that we have to pray for our enemies, the people who we don't understand, the people who, who might attack us, the people who believe different things than we do. That person who is different than us, that person who may actually persecute us. And what happens though? We feel like if we let our guard down, we will be attacked. We'll be threatened. If we go to forgive, we're afraid. Back to the question, do we trust God? Because if we go to forgive to turn the other cheek, we might lose our hard-fought advantage in this life. We might lose our status. We might lose some of our pride or our dignity. We might even look foolish in front of other people if we did these commands. If we followed these commands of Jesus, we might even look foolish. And so our desire to control these circumstances is us saying we don't trust God. Even though Jesus says very clearly here, this is what we ought to do, we think, no, I've worked hard for this. I've earned what I have. I don't want to lose it. But did we earn our power, our control, our advantages in life? Or were we given it freely by God? Did he bless us with education and jobs and abilities? See, we choose to see others as enemies or as against us. And in doing so, part of what we're trying to do is preserve our own status. We're trying to preserve our power or our advantage. But to do so is to control, is to try and take control from God. And God says very clearly that that is when we live in sin, when we do these things. Jesus is actually teaching us here that the kingdom of God is not found in our control, but in our giving up control our releasing control, our, our putting others above ourselves. The kingdom of God is trusting that God's plan is deeper, richer, and fuller than we could ever imagine. Our being made perfect, as Jesus says here, be perfect. If you want to be perfect, if we want to grow towards maturity, if we want to understand God's righteousness and understand the perspective of other people that we might not agree with, it is not found in control. It is not found in controlling a situation and trying to keep and cling to the things that have always, we've always known in our life. It's in, excuse me, it's in letting go of those things and committing to loving and praying for our enemies. You have thought that it was said. See, Jesus says, 
you have heard that it was said, but, but sometimes I think in the church we have thought that it was said, God gave us all of this so that we could control, <laughs> so that we can manipulate exactly how we want our life to be. But Jesus came to show us the way, didn't he? And so let us be people who listen to his directives. Let us learn to love as he loved. Let us give freely that you and I might be children of God and dwell in this kingdom together. And not only in the life to come, but here and now, because we can never forget that both Jesus, John the Baptist, both said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's available to us now. If we would let go of control and fear and sin and pride and all the things that complicate this and simply commit to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute you. If someone says, go with me a mile, say, I'll go with you too. Because according to Jesus, this is how you and I experience the kingdom of God together. Church, I hope and pray that that is your desire this week, that you would go forward seeking to know more of the kingdom of God, that you would go forward seeking to know how we might understand one another better, how we might love our enemies, and how we might have even the strength to pray for those who would persecute us. Go in peace and have a great week, and we'll see you soon.